0: news headquarters in new york city always seeking solutions never sewing division it's brian kilmeade
1: thanks so much for being here everybody it's the brian kilmeade show it's going to be a, a big show coming your way the president of the united states the 45th president maybe 47th will be uh, joining us in a matter of moments bottom of the hour i'm looking forward to talking to former marine uh congressman mike gallagher i know you're never a former marine but uh, retired Marine, uh, Mike Gallagher, now in the House, transportation infrastructure. More importantly, he looked at the Heritage Foundation rundown of what our military is like right now, and we used to be built to fight two and a half wars. Now we can't fight one, and we're not matching up favorably with China. So according to General Jack Keane, we wouldn't win. If we own against China. So that is discouraging, but it's correctable. It's all correctable. What made it really what makes it really tough on top of that is inflation. So you have a lot of money put aside for the military. Obviously, it could be better spent. Obviously, they could have been streamlined. Obviously, there's some redundancy. So having said all that, but the dollar's worth less. And when it comes to funding the military, I don't think we have we could actually build much into the when it comes to funding the military. We don't have we don't have much time. Look, obviously Russia is somebody, is a country that claimed to put eight hundred ninety billion dollars into their military to totally revise it and revitalize it. Obviously, that was not money well spent because we're seeing they're using uh, Soviet era weapons. Some people are on the front lines, not even armed. Almost nobody is trained. They still have a. Uh, a military structure that leads with generals in the front and doesn't empower power with their equivalent of colonels and captains to make any decisions in the battlefield, nor are they equipped to do it. And Ukraine is. They're Westernly trained. Uh, they have uh, our equipment. They have our commanders. And they also, Starlink has been a huge plus for Ukraine, and that is Elon Musk. They tried to kill the Internet. They put it back. Also, people have told me the biggest surprise is Russia and cyber. Uh, We thought Russia was much more advanced when it comes to cyber. Let's welcome in uh, President Donald Trump. Uh, Mr. President, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, Brian. Thank you very much. So, Mr. President, no one has better political instincts, I would argue, than you. Do you sense a red wave?
2: I do. I think so. Uh, About six months ago, it felt phenomenal. Then it got a little bit muddied up. Uh, Now I think we're going to do very well. I actually think we're going to do very well, maybe surprisingly well. Crime is a disaster for them. I mean, it's a Democrat cities, but crime is just an absolute disaster for them. And the economy and inflation is uh, really bad. And then they put Afghanistan and the withdrawal in the back of their mind, the way they withdrew, not the withdrawal, the way they withdrew. With uh, the fact that it was really a surrender, not a withdrawal, was the lowest day in the life of our country, in my opinion. You, you know, you add all of these factors. We're not respected anymore. We're not. We have nothing. We have nothing. With the war with Ukraine and Russia, would have never happened. It should have never happened. Would have never happened. Why would you? My- why do
1: you think it wouldn't have happened if you were president? Because Putin
2: respected me, and we didn't play games, and it wouldn't have happened. Plus. Just another little factor is when oil went up to $114 a barrel, uh, Putin was making a fortune no matter what the war cost. When I had it, I had it at $40 a barrel. And at $40 a barrel, he couldn't have afforded the war. Right now, oil is so expensive that he can continue to go. The money's not going to be the problem. The capability is, and certainly he's been – Somewhat embarrassed, but now if you notice, he's bringing out some pretty vicious weapons and
1: from Iran. Effect? He's bringing them on from Iran. What would you do yeah. if Iran yeah. was supplying kamikaze uh, drones to uh, an ally? Yep. Uh, would Ukraine is an ally of ours?
2: Yep, that's another thing that would have never happened. Iran would have never done that. They were no in no no position to do that, Brian. Iran was in absolutely no position to do that. They would have, uh, you know, I was I had them shut down. Iran would have made a deal with us within. One week after I reassumed office, now Iran is another one. They've aligned with China and Russia. So on top of everything else, you have these countries with a lot of weaponry lined up. You have China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea probably too
1: so mr president Which it's obvious that, it's obvious that the uh, Russia does not have a, a military that was hyped to that it was hyped to have had uh, they are performing miserably in the field. people are leaving the country rather than go for their draft uh obviously putin's embarrassed. Did you know that Russia was actually this antiquated this week
2: Well, nobody knew uh, you know you don 't know those things Putin would talk a strong game, but it's been very embarrassing. But nevertheless, they have a strong, you know, they have a strong military and you look at what's happening now, they're knocking the hell out of, they're just knocking, just knocking Ukraine to, their cities are being just pummeled and buildings are pouring down on top of people. You know, this is something that should have never happened. This is something that with, look, when he saw, when Putin saw I was out, and he saw what happened in Afghanistan. I, said, I think he looked at himself. He said, he looked at this group. He said, here's our chance. They don't know what they're doing. Because we looked worse right. than he ever looked with the way we got out of Afghanistan. So, you know, I I think that, uh, and, and also they don't seem to be fighting with a lot of spirit. If they had a fight with spirit, like you, Ukraine is fighting with spirit. But Ukraine is a much smaller military. You know, you have to remember. What? And now they're using tactics. And don't forget, those tactics can get a lot worse. And importantly, you know, the I call it the N-word, the nuclear word. People get a little angry when I say that. They say, don't get angry. It's the biggest threat in the world today. Do you
1: think he uses him? But Do you think the, there's a story that Putin the, wanted to use him and his inner circle stopped it? Do you think Putin would use nuclear weapons?
2: Well, I don't think he'll stand for losing. So in some form, maybe limited form, and uh, but to think we're even having this conversation. You know, you me- never mentioned the N-word, either one, okay? You never mentioned the N-word or the N-word. The nuclear N-word never was supposed to be mentioned. Now I'm reading every day, as an example today, I'm reading somewhere that there's at least a 40 percent chance that he'll use nuclear weapons. How the hell did this happen? And it's because of the United States. The other thing is, you know, we're spending a lot of money, and Europe is spending a tiny fraction of that money. You know, Europe is not spending the money. We are. We're spending a lot of money. We're we're going for billions and billions and billions, and every time he calls, and and I like him. Don't forget, he came to my defense with the fake Russian folks. He said, no, he didn't say anything wrong. He could have played it the other way. Oh, I was... You know, insulted or something. He wasn't insulted, and he he was very honorable. So I like him. But it would be a great thing if we could negotiate a peace right now. Wouldn't that be great?
1: But we not if they. It. But if they take fifteen percent of a country and then negotiate peace, they won. So that would be a bad. That would be a bad you know, precedent.
2: That's, that's up to whoever it is negotiating. Yeah. But we're very far away from the area. Europe is very close, and Europe isn't paying money. You know, they're paying very little. Actually.
1: If I could pair, if I could uh, pivot to Saudi Arabia, mention oil. We uh, they have decided to pull back OPEC plus two million barrels a day from the market, uh, causing prices to rise. The president says is going to be held to pay for that essentially, and the Democrats are talking about stopping uh, uh, arm sales and missile defense to them. Do you think that's the right move?
2: Well, I think Saudi Arabia has been treated badly by the United States by this you know particular group of people, and I think they took them for granted and. You know, in the meantime, Russia there, but right there, Russia and China are moving in, and they can protect them just like we can. You know, they needed us for protection. When I was there, I gave them great protection. They would have done anything for us. They would have done literally, they would have done anything for us. But I gave them great protection, and we got along great. And when we had too much oil, you know, right. in my case, we we produced so much that I got it down to a dollar fifty gasoline, down to a dollar fifty. That was too low because the oil companies were gonna go bust. So I dealt with Russia specifically. I dealt with Russia and I dealt with Saudi Arabia on a couple of phone calls and we got it up and we got the uh, we got it up to forty dollars a barrel, which is great. And that gave us a dollar eighty seven. You know they keep saying it's two dollars and thirty. It wasn't two dollars thirty. It was a dollar you can't go from the day he right. said because as soon as the election was, is, I'll put a, a word in quotes, one, one, okay, which we got more votes than they did. We we did a great job with that election, that I can tell you. I got 12 million more votes than I got the first time. But as soon as the election was determined, uh, you had a big spike in oil. But that had nothing to do with me. So if you go to before the election itself, you look right. at some of the prices during a period, during a, a fairly extended right. period of time not not fairly during my whole administration you, but we had oil down to a dollar 87 a barrel
1: uh, right so and, so overall with judging what we're living with now uh, you would not uh sanction you would not withhold weapon sales or damage the relate or sanction the relationship because you were using them as a hedge against iran anyway don't you have to make a choice in the I, middle east
2: i wouldn't do that no yeah. we have for two reasons They give us billions and billions of dollars to make these weapons. And if we don't give it to them, they'll buy them from China and Russia. So, you know, I I wouldn't do that at all, no.
1: So let's look at your candidates.
2: I'd be friends with the Saudis. And I don't like them going to China because they do control vast amounts of oil. We have more than they do. That's the amazing thing. And Biden goes around begging Venezuela and Saudi Arabia and others for oil. We have more than they do. A lot of people don't know that. I yeah. got Anwar done in Alaska. Uh, that's the size, potentially, of Saudi Arabia and in it, terms of
1: And he won't use it.
2: Quantity. Won't. And the first day, well, think of this. The biggest site probably in the world, okay, I got it done. Reagan couldn't get it done. Nobody could get it done. I got it done. The first day in office, they ended it. But I'll get it back if I do something.
1: So Mr. But President, the
2: first day in office they ended. Think of that, so, Brian. So, uh, the biggest site, the biggest, the most liquid gold anywhere in the world, probably, but very close.
1: But you talk to people from Alaska, the they're so frust- they're very they frustrated, ended. uh, especially. So let's talk about the people that you have on the ballot. Some of the people you got behind uh, and endorsed Blake Masters, Dr. Oz, JD Vance, Kari Lake are doing very well. Even Tudor Dixon uh is uh, seems to be surging. Will the results of this election and the people you endorsed influence whether you run or not in
3: 2024?
2: Uh, yes and no. Uh, look, if we did badly, I'm not sure that that wouldn't make it even more imperative to run because I've done very well. Look, I won the first election by qu- I won the second election by a lot. A
1: lot. Yeah, we, a well, you got election. you got more votes this time. But having having said that, you had 74 I got, million I mean, votes. You
2: had places where you had more votes, and you had people voting. Right. Look at Philadelphia. Look at Detroit.
1: Yeah, you just going just going forward, looking at the result, looking results in 2022. You think whether whether you, whether it's a big win for your candidates yeah. or a big loss, you feel it imperative to run. How do you think Herschel Walker has handled all the uh, controversy, the allegations? Uh, of uh, abortions and things like that to this point? How do you think he's handled it?
2: Well, as good as he as good as good he can. Look, I know Herschel for a long time. He's a high-quality person, actually. He's never done this before. I think he's done a really good job, and I think he's going to win. Uh, remember, Herschel as an athlete and as a person, you know, they know him for a long time in that state. But he's probably a top three running back in history. George is a big football deal. He went to a great football school. He was a star Heisman trophy and everything national championship. I think when people get into that voting booth and this, he's got that great way about him, great look. He's kept himself in shape. He looks great. He looks like he could play tomorrow. I said, Herschel, maybe, maybe you should go play a little bit of football, right? You know, help the team out. But, and they have a great team this year too, interestingly, but Herschel was the greatest. I mean, he was one of the right. two or three greatest athletes in the history of the state. You have Hank Aaron, you have Herschel Walker, and you have a couple other others i guess but but those two come to mind. I think when the voters get into that booth, which i it would be nice if they all got into the booth by by the way, not this mail in crap that gets uh, you know rigged you. and fixed but I mean we should go to paper ballots one day voting and voter i d If you had that, you wouldn't have any problems anymore. nobody would be complaining no but, but I, I hear you. so you're optimistic booth they're in you know yeah, you're optimistic cases, Kershaw's going to pull it out a car.
1: And the, What's that price? Well, you're optimistic he's going to pull it out, I guess. And if he doesn't get over 50, they'll have a I runoff think, again. I
2: think, yeah. I think when people in Georgia say vote against a guy who's got a lot of problems, Warnock has a lot of dirty stuff in his background. Um, to me, he's got a lot of dirty, dirty stuff, really dirty stuff. And I, in my opinion, it hasn't come out yet. Right. But I think that Herschel is going to do really well. I think people are going to say, I'm going for Herschel.
1: Hey, so, Mr. President, what I'm wondering is, I see Maggie Haberman sits down with you for hours as a best-selling book. Jonathan Carl hours best-selling book. Bob Woodward now releasing tapes. Do you regret sitting down with them? They don't seem to be doing any favors and making a lot of money well, off off the relationship. No,
2: well, it depends. I think Jonathan Carl. You know, look, I, I know Jonathan for a long time. He's just back and I knew what I was doing. I'm glad I did it because at least you get a little bit of say. But they don't write it anyway. Uh, in many ways, I like the tapes. I insist on tapes, but I also say the tapes belong to me. So that means Woodward has to get whatever deal he made. It, you know, we'll probably end up in litigation over it because uh, we gave tapes for the written word, not tapes to sell. And that's always made clear. I don't know if you've ever done an interview with, with you. I might not say it because I trust it. You, know, you. You're a good man, Brian. Thank you. But with uh, Bob Woodward, I said, no, no, these tapes are for the written word. These tapes are for your book. These are not to be sold. These are tapes for your book to help you. And I like that because it's more accurate, you know, than somebody. So now he's selling sell
1: an audio book, book or whatever obviously. he is. Now, so
2: now he makes an audiobook out of it. So we'll sue him. And then, you know, we've already. Hired the lawyers to sue him because he's right. a, you know, Bob right. Woodward's a very sleazy. I know guy. you got to
1: get going. You got two, two, uh, uh, we got a couple of minutes. Twitter is bought by Elon Musk. They want you back. Will you go back on Twitter? I know you got Truth Social. Would you do both?
2: Well, Truth Social for the last four days has been number one. I, I don't know if you've seen that. Yep. But it's been number one. It's ahead of TikTok. It's ahead of Instagram. It's ahead of everything. It's been number no- but I could have it sent to you just to verify this, okay? Because I like to verify things. So, truth is doing really well. People love it. Back, they say that was one of the worst decisions made in business. Yeah,
1: I got it, uh, Ms. President. You kind of faded out on that real quick. Do you, uh, you're going in and out. Uh, Twitter, would you go back on Twitter?
2: Go back to Twitter. Yep. No, I, I love.
1: I- yeah, we looks like we just got out of range. You think so? Yeah, it looks like we got out of range. Is he dropped? Well, that's the president of the United States, and we were, into the, we're actually end of the segment anyway. It's so great of him to give us uh, give us some time as we get set to where it's 18 days away from Election Day in 2022. The president's got a lot of people on the ballot. Uh, keep it here. We'll talk about what we learned and take your calls at one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Brian Kilmeade show.
0: He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
1: President dropped off at the end, so he rejoins us now. Mr. President, when will you decide if you're going to run in 2024, and how would you handle running against people in your cabinet like Pompeo, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence?
2: Well, many of them have said they would never run if I run, so we'll see whether or not that turns out to be true. I think it would be very disloyal if they did, but that's okay, too. And the polls have me leading by 40, 50 points. i am leading by a lot. Right. Uh, the other thing is I'll probably decide in the not too distant future we have to make this country great again. We had it great. We had energy independence. We were respected all over the world. We had low taxes. Everything that's happened, we had no inflation, right. as you know. We had we had this thing going like nobody's like our country has never been before.
1: But we when, had a when would you border. decide if you're going to run in history? When would you going to decide right? if you want to try that again?
2: We had the strongest border in history. Uh, we had all of the things. It was so beautiful. And now look at our country. Our country is a failed country. We're gotcha. we're, we're really a nation in decline. And that's a well, very sad thing.
1: Mr. President, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Donald Trump.
0: information you want truth you demand this is the Brian Kilmeade show
4: what we got to do is stop the negotiations with the Iranians on a nuclear deal just shut it down because of this this behavior which is in violation of the 2015 agreement Uh, number two double down on sanctions and and enforce all the Trump sanctions which this administration has backed away from and correct the loopholes and I think the third thing is really speak out in favor of the protests and demonstrations that are taking place in Iran. I mean, the president's done it once, but we should be doing it continuously. The protests are now in over 100 cities, and it's been going on well over a month. This has grown into something that's significant and, and material.
1: That is General Jack Keane with me an hour ago uh, talking about the threat with Ukraine, Russia, and uh, what we're spending on military. It's really disturbing because we have changed policies on on Iran, and we're all in more danger. Now there's talk about bringing ballistic missiles into theater. That could really do some damage to the Ukrainian infrastructure. Congressman Mike Gallagher knows all about it. His years in the Marines, now with Transportation Infrastructure and an Armed Services Committee. Congressman, welcome back. What do you think about uh, what the general was cautioning about when it comes to Iran?
6: Well, the general at the outset said, I think, the key point, which is that the Biden administration needs to to walk away from the negotiating table. Um, You know, they've been desperate for a deal since the day they got into office. And the Iranians have been refusing them despite, you know, very generous offers on our side. And now it's the level of protests and internal um, depression we're seeing. I mean, high school girls being killed by the besieged militia. Uh, If ever there was a moment for the Biden administration to stand up, it was now. And more to the point, the Biden administration just released their national security strategy last week or two weeks ago. And in it, they sort of make this argument that the contest geopolitically right now is one between democracy and autocracy. Well, the Iranian regime is is one of the most murderous autocracies in the world. So if they want to live up to their own standards, they need to walk away from the table. Otherwise, this regime is just going to get more aggressive, have more money in their pockets to oppress Mm. their own people and finance terrorist groups throughout the Middle East. So now it's time to walk away.
1: Congressman, don't you think it's a problem if you're going to? I understand people are upset that Saudi Arabia, OPEC plus has ticked down when it comes to output, but can you afford to, is it good politics and good policy to alienate Saudi Arabia and Iran?
6: no this is the mistake that the obama administration made and the biden administration is making once again it's it's just misunderstanding friends and enemies in the middle east where you know we have no perfect uh friends uh with besides israel Uh, we have to work with some regimes uh, that don't support our values but we share a common enemy in the form of iran and the reason we're seeing a historic level of cooperation But between Israel and the Sunni Arab Gulf states, Saudi Arabia in particular, is because of the the shared threat from Iran. So to alienate the Saudis uh, and to pursue rapprochement with the Iranians is geopolitical malpractice. It's a recipe for chaos in the Middle East. um, And the Biden administration is just refusing to learn from uh, from all the evidence accumulating against their policy.
1: Understood. Uh, So I don't know what kind of intelligence you could share if you had it, but there is reports that Putin wanted to use nuclear weapons a couple of weeks ago, and the inner circle stopped him. I asked General Jack Keene about that. Cut 36.
4: Putin's inner circle certainly is material here to what has taken place. I mean, obviously, his generals are failing. in one, not making certain Putin was aware of the limitations that they had, and, and two, We're going through one operational commander after another to try to find somebody who can patch together some kind of coherence in that force. I'll tell you what, Brian, it's not going to happen. I think the opposition to Putin will continue to grow. You see it in the population now. There's not hundreds of thousands of people in the streets, but there is growing resistance and frustration with the failure in the war and also with the mobilization that took place.
1: And all the men running from the country, 200,000 went to Kazakhstan. My goodness. So what have you heard?
4: Well, I can't speak to the
6: specifics of Putin's inner circle restraining him. Uh, It is, however, absolutely true that Putin's in a more precarious position. The 300,000 mobilization was incredibly unpopular. Um, You know, the the Ukrainians are fighting bravely, um, continue to embarrass the Russians, on the battlefield. But the risk is that, um, you know, as he grows more isolated uh, and in an authoritarian society, there's no real healthy feedback loops, that he might grow more aggressive. Uh, I think we've been deluding ourselves to think that he wouldn't potentially use a nuclear weapon. And, you know, the Biden administration has had to be dragged kicking and screaming at every step along the way to provide lethal assistance to the Ukrainians. They dragged their feet on the Stingers, they dragged their feet on the HIMARS, now they're dragging their feet on the ATACMs. It's my belief that the stronger we are conventionally in terms of helping Ukrainians fight for themselves, the better chance we have of deterring Putin from using a nuclear weapon, even as he grows increasingly isolated and even as the, the population in Russia grows increasingly frustrated with his mismanagement of this war effort
1: congressman uh, gallagher joins us now now you uh, actually announced the heritage foundation's research that revealed uh, militarily where we're at right now especially as it relates to china what is the state of our defense
6: well heritage rates it as as weak uh, and i think that uh, that should be a big wake-up call for everybody the navy and the air force in particular are rated weak and very weak respectively And that's a problem because, as we've talked about before, those are our two priority forces in our priority theater, the Indo-Pacific. That's largely a maritime and an air fight if things pop off with China. So what we see now is an accumulation of a bunch of trends. One is that the Democrats like to cut defense. They'd rather spend on, you know, progressive domestic priorities, Green New Deal type stuff than on the defense of the country Two, as a result of that is inflation inflation's taking 50 billion dollars from the army if you actually total the cost of purchasing power the effect of inflation over the next few years over what's called the fit up five-year defense plan we're talking hundreds of billion dollars uh, hundreds of billions of dollars we're losing because of inflation and the third thing is our enemies are getting uh, are getting more aggressive you know the military buildup from China is unlike anything we've seen in modern history and so and I would add a you know a, maybe a fourth thing to that these woke policies we're seeing pop up in the military are incredibly divisive. You know, the, co- the vaccine policy has driven thousands of people out of the force. We have a recruitment crisis on our hands, too. So all these things are conspiring uh, to weaken our military at the worst possible moment, at precisely the moment when China is stepping up their efforts to potentially make a move on Taiwan. So we got to fix this thing. we've got to turn this around. We need Republican leadership to finally reinvest in, de- in the defense of this country before it's too late.
1: Uh, I guess that's that's the state. Do, do you have a reaction yet from Democrats or pushback saying this? These numbers don't work.
6: Well, you know, the Democrats believe in this idea of integrated deterrence. The idea is that we can well, we, we don't have to invest as much in conventional hard power because we can make up the difference with soft power. It's totally delusional. It's utopian fantasy. It's not based on how the world actually works. And it's why deterrence failed in Ukraine. We relied solely on soft power we rely certainly worded statements coming out of the state department uh to deter putin guess what putin invaded ukraine putin doesn't care about a mean tweet from tony blinken Putin doesn't care you know she doesn't care about the climate goals coming out of cop 26 these people only understand the language of brute force and we've deluded ourselves into thinking we've evolved beyond that dangerous world we got to wake up we got to abandon the wokeism domestically We got to stop projecting weakness uh, internationally.
1: Uh, That would be, uh, that would certainly be novel as we look at this race right now, uh, especially, uh, especially as we look at what's happening in Wisconsin with Ron Johnson. We look at Herschel in a dead heat. We look at Dr. Oz now, 14 points down to a dead heat. We see Kari Lake pulling away as governor and Blake Masters within four in Arizona. There's a lot of Republicans who are starting to feel like a wave's coming. What do you feel?
6: Well, I can only speak for Wisconsin, uh, but uh, and I, I think Ron Johnson's definitely going to win. I think we'll pull out the governor's race. You know, we're, we're flipping a seat, uh, a House seat that's been held by Democrat for 20 years uh, in the western part of Wisconsin. So uh, we feel good, certainly about our ability to take back the House and permanently retire Nancy Pelosi and potentially flip the Senate, um, you know, I think your average Wisconsinite just understands that the Biden administration, you know, the the rampant inflation we're seeing is is really a policy choice by the Biden administration. Their decision to spend trillions of dollars, the out of control crime we're seeing in places like Kenosha, all across the state of Wisconsin is a direct consequence of the defund the police movement and the out of control border is related, right? You know, we have our, our Senate candidate on the Democrat side, was an early proponent of abolishing ICE and defunding the police. So people get it. They're not stupid, despite the Biden administration trying to gaslight them. So I'm very optimistic about our chances. But winning an election means nothing unless you do something with it. And there, I think we have a lot of work to do. We need to be ready to roll the day after the election to start delivering on some promises and then pave the way for a Republican president. Uh, coming into office come 2025.
1: Delivering on promises uh, beyond investigations, what could you actually push through? And what kind of leverage could you get on the president to actually do something?
6: You know, I think uh, we could have border security funding, border wall funding. If the president wants to fund the government, I think that's a reasonable request. You can't deny the catastrophe we're seeing at the southern border. Listen, I think the other thing we need to do is just end the, the so-called emergency over the pandemic. The Biden administration is abusing emergency powers uh, in order to spend all sorts of money they don't have the authority to spend because they're saying we're still in an emergency related to the pandemic. Relatedly, if the student loan debt forgiveness uh, gets uh, uh paused because of court action, we should do everything possible to fix the 2003 law that they're citing. It's a crazy legal argument so that we don't spend half a trillion dollars subsidizing the loans of, mi- of upper middle class people and making the cost of higher you could education. could stop that? even more astronomical. I think there's a path forward. Uh, I'm having kind of the legal nerds. You know, I'm just a simple Marine, Brian. I'm having the legal nerds try and uh, get me a better answer on it. Um, it's it's, uh, it's a difficult thing to do, but we should try. I mean, that's a right. huge, huge waste of money. It's crazy, and it's an abuse of executive authority unlike anything I've seen in recent
1: history. CDC is at it again. They are, going, they are recommending that all children get vaccinated with COVID-19 vaccine. Before school, like polio, rubella, whatever, we, whatever kids get now and we all got when we went to school, they are recommending we do the same thing with COVID-19. Here's Dr. Marty McCarry on that mandate for children. Cut 31.
6: We saw the same thing with school policy. The CDC argued they didn't close schools. They just sent out the guidance. But, of course, local authorities often will blindly follow whatever the CDC does. And if the CDC uh, is truly putting this on the vaccination schedule, as they just voted to do, this will be the first ever vaccine where there's no evidence to, sh- to show a reduction in disease in the community. So that's not a very good milestone. It threatens the credibility of MMR and polio and many of the other vaccines for which it's taken 50 years to build public
4: trust.
1: So uh, I, I cannot believe we're going down this road, but that's what's going to happen. In a gov- if, if your governor re- gets another four years, that's what's going to be for the kids in Wisconsin.
6: One hundred percent. These kids who've already had to suffer the devastating effects of school shutdowns, who've lost a year, if not two years, of schooling. I mean, our reading numbers are abysmal. Abysmal. We have we have you, we have over sixty percent of our kids can't read at grade level. We're failing them. We're allowing the fear of adults to affect and destroy our kids' future. The CDC has failed us. NIH has failed us. NIAID, Fauci's organization have failed us. We need to completely reform and reinvent our public health bureaucracy. It's going to be difficult to do in divided government, but we can start. We can do some very simple things. Uh, we should be outlawing gain-of-function research, for example. We still have NIH giving money to research organizations that are taking viruses and doing dangerous experiments on them, despite what we've seen with the origin of this pandemic, it's absolute insanity, Brian, and we need to we need to completely reform this corrupt federal bureaucracy, and our kids are suffering. They're going to suffer more if we don't.
1: Congressman uh, Mike Gallagher, thanks so much. The state of the military, not good, but all fixable and correctable. Uh, we need the public pressure to make it happen. Congressman, thanks so much. Thank you, sir. All right. Uh, always great to talk to him. one 408 7669 This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move.
0: Newsmakers and newsbreakers, here at first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
7: How about that Liz Truss? Shortest serving British Prime Minister in history. Well, that was short, said Anthony Scaramucci. (laughs) It is very good to see Senator Gillibrand and the Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer, has been in Congress so long that medically he's considered a
5: pre-existing condition. (laughs) Anyway, we've got
7: all types here tonight, Democrats, Republicans, Independents, and that's just Mike Bloomberg.
1: <laughs> that's uh, Peggy Newton delivering the uh, keynote address last night. Uh, she, was, uh, she was good. She was a good writer. Uh, she did say a lot of ticked off some Trump supporters by one of her lines was uh, tr- Trump getting hit by a bus and then the, uh, the bus driver who hit him getting an award. And I guess most of the were like uh, half the room thought it was funny. The other half sat silently, much like the rest of the country.
3: What room were you in, Brian?
1: Oh, that's the Al. Oh, the, sorry about that. Uh, the Al Smith dinner last night, this legendary dinner, uh, best known for presidential candidates after they get nominated two weeks before an election. They always go down there and they roast each other Mitt Romney, uh, famously, and Barack Obama, and all this stuff. So uh, it, it was really good. So I've been on the dais the last four years because they would not do the, have the dinner without me. And I haven't gotten, no one's actually said that, but that's what I think.
3: That's what you think Cardinal Dolan is thinking when he's talking to you.
1: Right. Uh, along with the richest, most powerful people in the world, from Ken Langone, well, right there—that's why you should be on it. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, to my right, Dana Prino. to my left, Lee Elden. And I, you know, and he came right over to me. We were talking, and he has been showing up at every crime scene. He has opinions about what's going to happen. He knows exactly what he's going to do. And before I left, I can't—I I don't want to give away too much—but one of the bishops. Walks over to him, grabs his shoulders, and says, "You have my vote, and you'd be surprised how many other votes that you have." And usually, bishops are new to, known for hyperbole. I'm pretty sure you would hope. Do you that want to Google that? They're
3: speaking the truth. They're speaking right. the word of God.
1: And see, this is what from I can't even tell the borough because somebody will figure it out. But one of the boroughs, very powerful person, and then you, I, I was because I was with it, you. Just saw the the reaction. And he was diagonally up from Hoko. Hoko would not turn around to talk to him. And he, she, he didn't talk to her. And you're looking at a guy that has polls within the margin of error now, where he was down by 16 points for, at one point. 24 points. I'm sort of point. shocked
3: Hochul showed up, though, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Didn't say a word. Doesn't mm-hmm. say anything. Doesn't say anything. But George Pataki was there, shaking everybody's hand, former governor of New York. Who who else was there of importance? Uh, Chuck it, Schumer. Eric Adams. Uh, Eric Adams had a chance to meet the mayor. He had a bunch of events. And he sits down with a former colleague of ours, Chris Wallace, and he talks about the need to go out at night because it helps a, the nightclub industry. I never heard that.
8: That's a spin indeed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about industry. I help the dishwashers. I help the waiters. He needs a way
3: to expense his wardrobe.
1: He still thinks we need to be in – that's a very good move. Uh, he still thinks we need to be inspired to go out and party, which is interesting. I take my—I like a leader in the battlefield and a leader at the at the velvet rope.
0: From the Fox News Radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmead.
1: Hi everyone, Brian Kilmeade here. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show at 40th and Sixth in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. In 34 minutes, I'm going to you're going to hear an interview. The interview we just did with President Trump, 45th President of the United States. Uh, but right now, we're going to go to uh, one of the first endorsements this cycle. Uh, who's been as busy in the line of fire and above all reports, even opposition research, even his opposition did exceedingly well on the one and only debate. Let's bring in uh, the Republican candidate for Senator in Georgia, Herschel Walker. Herschel, welcome back.
8: Hello there. How you doing, Brian? Hey, Thanks good. Thanks having me back.
1: Hey, so what a few weeks you've had. Uh, you've had the, the tumultuous, the accusations, uh, the story in the Daily Beast that grew. Then you had the debate, uh, and then everything that in the aftermath. According to the latest poll, you're in a virtual uh, flat-footed tie. How does it feel on the ground with, with Warnock?
8: Well, it, it, it feels pretty good. I think the... Uh, Uh, I think they're nervous. I think they're scared. Uh, You know, they uh, feel that this seat is so valuable that they'll say and do anything to get this seat, whether true or false. They're going to do it. They're going to say it. And what I'm going to continue to do is get out and meet the people, let the people hear about me. And I think the debate proves who should be a senator, who should be representing Georgia. Uh, I think he sort of underestimated me. and And I asked you, Brian, and I told everyone else that know me. Did they have a doubt that I would do this to him in the debate? There was no doubt in my mind I would do this to him because he's like a one-trick pony. Right now, he told with Joe Biden, ninety-six percent of the time, is his reason that we got an open border, we got this economy the way it is, we got men and women's sports because he's that one-trick pony. He does what they tell him to do. Whereas I will represent the people of Georgia to be the best of my ability.
1: So, Herschel Walker, our guest, uh, Herschel. A couple of things we just. Uh... Uh, I, we just saw the new spot that's out. Everyone knows you won the Heisman Trophy. They may not remember outside Georgia who your coach was. He remembers who you were, and he made it clear who he supports in this race. Listen.:
0: I admired Herschel from the beginning. Herschel has always been challenged about doing things that people thought he wasn't capable of doing. He wants to be the best. And he has striven to do that, disciplined himself to do that, falls sometimes along the way. But he gets back up and with his incredible drive and self-discipline, he has achieved mighty things. He's a real patriot of this country. He loves the United States of America. He also is realistic that it can be better. He is not a, quote, politician. There is a need In this country, there's need in this state for somebody like Herschel.
8: So
1: what does that mean to you?
8: You know, that means uh, a great deal. And I want to give a big, big shout out to Coach Duda and his family. I know he's going through a lot of health problems right now, so we want to continue to keep him in our prayers. But when I hear him speak like that, I mean, it really makes me feel uh, great. And that's made me go out to win this election because I've had some great people in my life and he's one of the ones that have helped me along the way and shown me so much that I need to win this race for people like him so I can continue to help other kids to have that America's dream that I've had. And I think if we continue to let people like Senator Warnock in office and he continues to say, Senator, kids will never have that America's dream again, I think that will be gone, and I, and I, and that's not going to be on my watch. I will not not let that happen on my watch.
1: Well, the other thing, well, it must be a movie that brings back to your playing days, and I just did hear reports that you did leave college early. You have a year, year of eligibility. Are they trying to get you to play out your senior year finally?
8: Well, I don't, <laughs> I don't know whether they're doing a little bit better with, uh, without me. in there, so They probably don't want me to come back now. And The guy's gotten so much better. But that's the reason I tell everyone, just think about it now. I left the University of Georgia only to go to uh, be with the 45th president of the United States of America. So I reckon God was, uh, he he knew before I was born just where he wanted to take me, and I'm letting him lead me right now. And right now I got to go out and win this Senate seat. So whatever I need to do to go win this Senate seat, I'm out working for the great people of Georgia. So, by the way,
1: I just said he was the owner of the New Jersey Generals of the USFL, and he was the future president at the time. He had just he just joined me. We're going to play the entire interview shortly. But here's what he said about you. Herschel Walker has handled all the uh, controversy, the allegations uh, of uh, abortions and things like that to this point. How do you think he's handled it?
2: Well, as good as he as good as he can. Look, I know Herschel for a long time. He's a high quality person, actually. He's never done this before. I think he's done a really good job and I think he's going to win.
1: So he's he understands what it's like to have turmoil in a campaign and get through it. What is your What are your thoughts about what he just said?
8: Well, you know, uh, President Trump, uh, you know, he's always been a friend. He will always be my friend. And he's always given me advice, you know. And and I take his vi- advice and, and I thank him so much for all that he's done, not just for me, but to this country. And I, I think people need to acknowledge the policy that he did for this country. I hope people can see it right now. The policy that he had for this country was so great, and you, you compared to what they're doing to America, compared to what they're doing to this country, I guarantee people could put up with some of his tweets now, because right now with this economy the way it is, the crime on the street the way it is, we're having a national security problem right now. I think President Trump would be a great uh, guy to be in office right now. We need to have strength in office, and it seems like we've lost our strength because we're not supporting our mm-hmm. military. So I, I thank President Trump for all he's done and what he's done for me. And, and uh, I'm going to go out and win. I think for people like him, Coach Dudley, for you, Brian, you've been a great friend as well. And thank you guys for all what all you guys have done.
1: Uh, Herschel Walker, our guest. Uh, Herschel, right now, the one thing is pretty clear. The voting, even though this is a midterm election, not a not an election with the president, where there's a lot more interest and a lot more publicity, so far in Georgia, in person, 2020, 410,000 early voting. Now it's 396 going into today plus. So what do you think about that? The fact that people are not being stopped from voting, it doesn't seem. It seems like the voting was really strong during primaries for both parties. Yet it didn't stop President Biden from saying this, cut for. It is the most pernicious thing.
4: This makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle, this is Jim Crow on steroids, what they're doing in, in Georgia and 40 other states. Jim Crow 2.0 is about two insidious things no. voter suppression and election subversion. It's no longer about who gets to vote, it's about making it harder to vote.
1: So, overall, no. in the country, we've had a record amount of early voting, and in Georgia in particular, it seems strong. What do those words mean from somebody who did grow up in the South? When you would walk to school and there would be mock, uh, there would be mock hangings sometimes and lynchings. You know about segregation. And what were your thoughts about the president saying it?
8: Well, I do know about segregation, and it is sad that we have a United States president in today's time saying. That we're Come up under me, and I'll set you up to run. Mike
2: said, "I don't want and Mike was the cordial City police chief for five months, and then yeah. the election
1: happened. I'm not really sure what just happened. I think we, uh, some type of cell mix-up, a lot of times they'll just pop back on with the cell phone. Uh, I think he, all of a sudden we just picked up somebody else's phone call. That has never happened. But, you know, I cannot imagine if it was a bigger-name guest, I might take that second phone call. But it was Herschel Walker. So outside the president of the United States, I'm pretty sure this is an interview I'd love to finish. So I was just playing that cut for Herschel. So if you know Herschel Walker's story, he wrote his biography back in 2009. And him growing up was in—both parents worked. Uh, they, were ext- they were extremely religious. They all had their chores. They all worked the land. They all had farms. And there was, a, there was racism in the area. There was Ku Klux Klan in the area in Georgia. He said that they were to intimidate the black kids, a lot of times if they took a certain path, there'd be mock lynchings. To think that he goes back there and see about the progress we've made as a country, and if you've ever been through Georgia, a very few players, uh, places, in my view, as integrated successfully as Georgia has since the tumultuous time leading up to the 60s, And to see the president of the United States, and I thought so at the time before Herschel even declared his candidacy, to use Jim Crow 2.0 as an example, because there's new post-pandemic election rules, for example, instead of having signature match, they just want you to have an ID. Instead of having drop boxes everywhere, they're going to be limited to the towns and they're going to be monitored by other things. So, Herschel, uh, we yeah, all of a sudden, c- it was a mystery. We just got somebody else's phone call in the middle of yours. But I just wanted yeah. you to comment on the president using that term and uh, about Jim Crow 2.0 and the early in-person voting being almost equal to the 2020 election.
8: Well, first of all, I thought it was disgusting. I thought it was insulting. And why are they not impeaching him for statements like that? That is so racist, trying to divide people. But he's not the only one using that. You know you have my senator that I'm running against use words like that to separate and divide. You have State Senator Abrams running for governor using words like that to separate and divide. We need to get people like that out of office and bring people together. I believe in equality, I believe in unity, I believe in bringing people together, not trying to separate people for a vote. That's all they want to do. They want a vote, so they'll do things like that for a vote. And I think it's insulting. It is disgusting. And, you know, even on my campaign trail now, I'm getting it out there from Senator Warnock people, from uh, – I mean, we found out one of Obama people. that's saying all types of things to me, but they're not going to stop me. Words are not going to stop me because I want people like that out of this country because when we can stop talking about race, maybe we can get race better. We can what about do the Obama people up? say
1: to you, Uh Hershel?
8: Oh, they called they – I think that was one of the ones that called me the, the name. They called me the house, whatever, the N-word. And it's like, why are people out doing things like this? Because they a uh, man can think for himself, and that's what I would do. Remember, I said that, and I said, who couldn't think for themselves when it was on the debate stage? It wasn't Herschel Walker. It was Senator Warnock. He even got to the point he wouldn't even answer questions because they hadn't told him what to say. So what I want him to do is he needs to go back and get ready to debate Joe Biden. That's what they need to do, debate him, because he's the one that gave us high taxes. He's the one that didn't want to protect the border. He's the one that do not want to get the kids a kids the school choice. He's the one that want to kill a baby all the way up to birth. He's the one that want to do that. So I said debate him on some of the subjects.
1: Herschel, uh, a couple of things. He, uh, after the uh, after the. Debate. He said, "Well, that badge wasn't real, and Herschel's business is not real. We uh, Georgia deserves a serious candidate. Herschel Walker is not a serious candidate."
8: Well, uh, well, uh, who, well. Say this, Brian. You saw the debate. Everyone else saw the debate. Who is not a serious candidate? If I'm not a serious candidate, he must be worse because one of the things he's done, is and so every law enforcement out there, because they take that badge as being very real, and he hasn't taken it to be real yet. He called them names. That's the reason the morale is down, the, the recruitment is down, because he has no respect for our law enforcement, where yet I've had more law enforcement that has endorsed me than anyone running today. And I said that is the problem is Senator Warnock right now, is so afraid right now that he's about to lose power. He's now saying and doing anything he can say to try to win the seat bite, But he's in for a fight when he, come, when he came to me.
1: Uh, Herschel, work with us. Herschel, so in the maximum. Remember
8: this, remember this, Brian, who used a fake dog to pretend he had a dog when he didn't have a dog? He used a fake dog to mislead people. And now he's a minister that have made all this money, but yet he's evicting people for $28. So who's the hypocrite? Who's the liar? And I'm not going to bring up the, his personal life because we want to stay on what he's done as a senator, nothing else.
1: So Stacey Abrams, as you know, is running for governor. In fact, the event when I, ca- when I, covered, uh, when I covered you for that day and I have to find out what life was like as Herschel Walker, the candidate, uh, you both addressed the same uh, law enforcement agencies. And she went out there and I had them, while she was talking, I had to tell the the sheriff's, They walked over and said, "I have nothing." She has no respect for us. One after another, they were just whispering to me, "Brian, they have. She has no respect for us. Uh, I have no interest in listening to her." And they were just walking out. Well, uh, Stacey Abrams is a strong candidate. She's extremely intelligent, very, uh, very articulate. But I cannot tell you how bizarre this statement was, and I wanted you to hear it. Tell me if this makes sense to you. I would assume, maybe incorrectly. But while abortion is an issue, it nowhere reaches the level of interest of voters in terms of the cost of gas, food, bread, milk, things like that. What can a governor, what could you do as governor to alleviate the concerns of Georgia voters about those livability, daily, hourly issues that they're confronted with?
4: But let's be clear. Having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs. For women, this is not a reductive issue. You can't divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child.
8: So
1: fight abortion, fight inflation right. by having an abortion?
8: Oh, you know, that is that is insulting. But, uh, hey, Brian, the guy I'm running against believes on abortion on demand. That's what he believes as well. And it is, it is, it is absolutely terrible that we're even discussing this in this country. But you know what's great about this country? What is great about this country is we can agree to disagree that they have a right to their opinion. But what we have to do as people, to get people out of office like that, we cannot have people in office that doing things like that or we're going to have a society that will be lawlessness because they don't believe in cash bail. They don't believe they believe in emptying their prisoners. They're going to make up prisoners in our own home. You know, and I look at their, their belief. They believe in no police, abolishing prison, no family unit. Uh, it sounds like a Marxist to me. That sounds just like a Marxist to me. When you hear things like that, I say, guys, what is going on, people? Let's get out. We have to get people out of office like that. And, yes, they can be in the United States because this is a great country, and we're a country that we continue to be compassionate, but we cannot. we got to have laws in this country. We've got to have people that protect our men and women in blue. We've got to have people that protect our military. got to have people that are going to protect our kids because they're going out there with kids, too, to indoctrinate them.
1: Herschel, lastly, last question. I only have 20 seconds. Do you have a plan? If neither of you get 50, you have to have a runoff. Is there a a runoff plan, Herschel Walker?
8: No, I got a runoff plan, but there's not going to be a runoff. I'm going to beat him outright. Right now, as I go around the state, the state is upset. I'm gonna beat him outright. I gotcha. think he knows it as well. He voted early, Brian. He voted early and I think he voted for me because he don't want to take on the task <laughs> no more. I'm pretty it's sure too he big did. For him. Herschel, that,
1: he I can't paid. go with you on that prediction, but I hear you. He, Herschel's gonna join me on One Nation, eight o'clock on Saturday too. Herschel Walker, thanks so much.
0: A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: A couple of minutes, you're going to hear my entire interview with uh, President Trump. I've been doing it through, you know, we have hard breaks. We can't really blow them out. It's not like television. If you're in a role, if there's breaking news, you can do it. So we're able to do t- uh, two parts uh, with the president, 45th president of the United States, who's got a, a full schedule. I mean, he is working hard. Where What's so odd is the current president. Not doing almost anything. Yesterday, he helped with the Fetterman. Fetterman wasn't even appearing with him. Fetterman went to an event in Pittsburgh and didn't do anything. He didn't say anything. In fact, when he went to say something, I'll show you this later on this hour, this half hour. When he went to talk, his wife jumped in and said, This isn't, we don't have interviews. He had a rally with the current president, not a rally, but an event with the current president and didn't talk. When they walked into a restaurant together, they walked through the door. Fetterman stands against the wall. The president walks to the counter. I don't know who scripted that, but that was absolutely bizarre. He does raise, the president does raise a lot of money, but he's not a great speaker. He's always angry, and he's not popular. The guy who's popular right now is President Obama on the left, and he's uh, buzzing everywhere. I get the sense that they barely talk. I do not think they get along. I, I, I truly believe that. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade show, and we come back to the 45th president of the United States, who might just be the 47th president of the United States. Go to briankilmey.com, find out where I'll be.
0: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Well, it's uh, it's always great to talk to the president of the former president of the United States, who might just be the next president of the United States. And certainly people, the speculation strong that he's going to declare after the midterms. So here's my interview with uh, President President Trump moments ago. Let's welcome in uh, President Donald Trump. Uh, Mr. President, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, Brian. Thank you very much. So, Mr. President, no one has better political instincts, I would argue, than you. Do you sense a red wave?
2: I do. I think so. Uh, About six months ago, it felt phenomenal. Then it got a little bit muddied up. Uh, Now I think we're going to do very well. I actually think we're going to do very well, maybe surprisingly well. Crime is a disaster for them. I mean, it's a Democrat cities, but crime is just an absolute disaster for them. And. The economy and inflation is uh, really bad, and then they put Afghanistan and the withdrawal in the back of their mind. The way they withdrew, not the withdrawal, the way they withdrew, with, with uh, the fact that it was really a surrender, not a withdrawal, it was the lowest day in the life of our country, in my opinion. You, you know, you had all of these factors. We're not respected anymore. We're not. We have nothing. We have nothing. With the war with Ukraine and Russia, would have never happened. It should have never happened. Would have never happened. Why would you? Why do you
1: think it wouldn't have happened if you were president?
2: because Putin respected me and we didn't play games and it wouldn't have happened. Plus, just another little factor is when oil went up to $114 a barrel, uh, Putin was making a fortune no matter what the war cost. When I had it, I had it at $40 a barrel. And at $40 a barrel, he couldn't have afforded the war. Right now, oil is so expensive that he can continue to go. Money's not gonna be the problem. The capability is, and certainly he's been Somewhat embarrassed, but now, if you notice, he's bringing out some pretty vicious weapons. And from Iran. Effect.
1: He's bringing them on from Iran. What would you do yeah, if Iran yeah. was supplying kamikaze drones to uh, an ally, yeah. uh, Would Ukraine is an ally of ours?
2: Yep. That's another thing that would have never happened. Iran would have never done that. They were no, in no, no position to do that, Brian. Iran was in absolutely no position to do that. They would have, uh, you know, I was I had them shut down. Iran would have made a deal with us within— one week after I reassumed office now Iran is another one they're they've aligned with China and Russia, so on top of every everything else, you have these countries with a lot of weaponry lined up. You have China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea, probably too
1: so mr president, it's obviously it's obvious that the uh, Russia does not have a, a military that was hyped to that it was hyped to have had. Uh, They are performing miserably in the field. People are leaving the country rather than go for their draft. Uh, Obviously, Putin's embarrassed. Did you know that Russia was actually this antiquated this week?
2: Well, nobody knew. Uh, You know, you don't know those things. Putin would talk a strong game, but it's been very embarrassing. But nevertheless, they have a strong... You know, they have a strong military, and you look at what's happening now. They're knocking the hell out of—they're just knocking just knocking Ukraine to—their their cities are being just pummeled, and buildings are pouring down on top of people. You know, this is something that should have never happened. This is something that—look, with look, when he saw, when Putin saw I was out, and he saw what happened in Afghanistan, I, th- I think he looked at himself, he said, he looked at this group. He said, here's our chance. They don't know what they're doing because we looked worse right. than he ever looked with the way we got out of Afghanistan. So, you know, I I think that uh, and, and also they don't seem to be fighting with a lot of spirit. If they had a fight with spirit, like you, Ukraine is fighting with spirit. But Ukraine is a much smaller military. You know, you have to remember. What? And now they're using tactics. And don't forget, those tactics can get a lot worse. And importantly, you know, I call it the N-word, the nuclear word. People get a little angry when I say that. They said, don't get angry. It's the biggest threat in the world today. Do you
1: think he uses him? Do you think there's a story that Putin wanted to use him and his inner circle stopped it? Do you think Putin would use nuclear weapons?
2: Well, I don't think he'll stand for losing. So in some form, maybe limited form. uh, But to think we're even having this conversation. You know, you never mentioned the N-word, either one, okay? You never mentioned the N-word or the N-word. The nuclear N-word never was supposed to be mentioned. Now I'm reading every day, as an example today, I'm reading somewhere that there's at least a 40% chance that he'll use nuclear weapons. How the hell did this happen? And it's because of the United States. The other thing is, you know, we're spending a lot of money. And Europe is spending a tiny fraction of that money. You know, Europe is not spending the money. We are. We're spending a lot of money. We're going for billions and billions and billions. And every time right. he calls, and, and I like him. Don't forget, he came to my defense with the fake Russian folks. He said, Zelensky. no, he didn't say anything wrong. He could have played it the other way. Oh, I was, you know, insulted or something. He wasn't insulted. And he he was very honorable. So I like him but it would be a great thing if we could negotiate a peace right now wouldn't that be great
1: but we not if they it. but if they take 15% of a country and then negotiate peace they won so that would be a bad that would be a bad well, precedent
2: that's, that's up to whoever it is negotiating yeah. but we're very far away from the area europe is very close and europe isn't paying money you know they're paying very little actually. if
1: i could pair, if i could uh, pivot to saudi arabia you mention oil we uh they have decided to pull back opec plus 2 million barrels a day from the market uh, causing prices to rise. The president says it's going to be held to pay for that, essentially. And the Democrats are talking about stopping uh, uh, arm sales and missile defense to them. Do you think that's the right move?
2: Well, I think Saudi Arabia has been treated badly by the United States, by this you know, particular group of people. And I think they took them for granted. And, you know, in the meantime, Russia, there, right there, Russia and China, are uh, moving in, and they can protect them just like we can. you know they needed us for protection. when I was there, I gave them great protection. They would have done anything for us. they would have done literally they would have done anything for us. But I gave them great protection, and we got along great and when we had too much oil, you know right. in my case we we produced so much that I got it down to a dollar fifty gasoline down to a dollar fifty that was too low because the oil companies were to go bust. So I dealt with Russia specifically. I dealt with Russia, and I dealt with Saudi Arabia on a couple of phone calls, and we got it up and we got the uh, we got it up to forty dollars a barrel, which is great. And that gave us a dollar eighty-seven. You know they keep saying it's two dollars and thirty. Was not two dollars and thirty? It was a dollar. You can't go from the day he took over because as soon as the election was, is I'll put a, a word in quotes, one won, okay, which we got more votes than they did. We we did a great job with that election. That I can tell you, I got 12 million more votes than I got the first time. But as soon as the election was determined, uh, you had a big spike in oil. But that had nothing to do with me. So if you go to before the election itself, you look right. at some of the prices during a period, during a, a fairly extended right. period of time. Not not fairly during my whole administration. But we had oil down to a dollar eighty-seven a barrel.
1: Uh, right. So, and so overall, judging what we're living with now, uh, you would not uh, sanction, you would not withhold weapon sales or damage the or sanction the relationship because you were using them as a hedge against Iran anyway. Don't you have to make a choice in the I, Middle East?
2: I wouldn't do that. No, yeah. we have for two reasons. They give us billions and billions of dollars to make these weapons. And if we don't give it to them, they'll buy them from China and Russia. So, you know, I I wouldn't do that at all, no.
1: So let's look at your candidates. I'd be
2: friends with the Saudis. I'd be friends with the Saudis. And I don't like them going to China because they do control vast amounts of oil. We have more than they do. That's the amazing thing. And Biden goes around begging Venezuela and Saudi Arabia and others for oil. We have more than they do. A lot of people don't know that. I got Anwar done in Alaska— uh, that's the size potentially of Saudi Arabia and in it, terms of
1: and he won't use it
2: quantity. And, and the first day, well, think of this: the biggest site probably in the world. Okay, I got it done. Reagan couldn't get it done. Nobody could get it done. I got it done. The first day in office, they ended it. But I'll get it back if I do something.
1: So, Mr. But President, the
2: first day in office, they ended. Think of that, so, Brian. So, uh, the biggest site, the biggest, the most liquid gold anywhere in the world, probably, but very close.
1: But you talk to people from Alaska; first they're so frust- they're very they frustrated, uh, especially. So let's talk about the people that you have on the ballot. Some of the people you got behind uh, and endorsed: Blake Masters, Dr. Oz, J.D. Vance, Kari Lake are doing very well. Even Tudor Dixon uh, is uh, seems to be surging. Will the results of this election and the people you endorsed influence whether you run or not in 2024? Uh,
2: yes and no. Uh, look, if we did badly, I'm not sure that that wouldn't make it even more imperative to run because I've done very well. Look, I won the first election by qu- I won the second election by a lot. A lot. Yeah, we. Well, you got election. you got
1: more votes this time. But having having said that, you had seventy four million votes. I mean, votes. you
2: had places where you had more votes, than you had people voting. Right. Look at Philadelphia.
1: Look at Detroit. Yeah, you just going just going forward, looking at the result, looking at people. results in twenty twenty two. You think whether whether you, whether it's a big win for your candidates or a big loss, you feel it imperative to run. How do you think Herschel Walker has handled all the uh, controversy, the allegations? Uh, of uh, abortions and things like that to this point? How do you think he's handled it?
2: Well, as good as he, as good as he can. Look, I know Herschel for a long time. He's a high-quality person, actually. He's never done this before. I think he's done a really good job, and I think he's going to win. Uh, remember, Herschel as an athlete and as a person, you know, they know him for a long time in that state. But he's probably a top three running back in history. George is a big football deal. He went to a great football school. He was a star, Heisman Trophy and everything, national championship. I think when people get into that voting booth, and this, he's got a great way about him, great look. He's kept himself in shape. He looks great. He looks like he could play tomorrow. I said, Herschel, maybe, maybe you should go play a little bit of football, right? You know, Help the team out. But And they have a great team this year, too, interestingly. But Herschel was the greatest. I mean, he was one of the right. two or three greatest athletes in the history of the state. You have Hank Aaron. You have Herschel Walker. And you have a couple other others, I guess, but but those two come to mind. I think when the voters get into that booth, which I it would be nice if they all got into the booth. By by the way, not this mail-in crap that gets uh, you know uh, rigged yeah, yeah. and fixed. But I mean, we should go to paper ballots, one-day voting, and voter ID. If you had that, you wouldn't have any problems anymore. <laughs> Nobody would be complaining. No, but, but I, I hear you. So you're optimistic. Whatever booth they're in, you know. Yeah, you're optimistic. Kershaw's going to pull it with out. Their car. <laughs>
1: The, what's that? Well, you're optimistic. He's going to pull it out, I guess. And if he doesn't get over 50, they'll have a I runoff think, again. I
2: think, yeah. I think when people in Georgia say vote against the guy who's got a lot of problems, Warnock has a lot of dirty stuff in his background. Uh, to me, he's got a lot of dirty, dirty stuff, really dirty stuff. And I, in my opinion, it hasn't come out yet, right. but I think that Herschel is going to do really well. I think people are going to say, I'm going for Herschel.
1: Hey so Mr. President, what I'm wondering is I see Maggie Haberman sits down with you for hours as a best selling book Jonathan Carl hours best selling book Bob Woodward now releasing tapes. Do you regret sitting down with them? They don't seem to be doing any favors and making a lot of money no. off off your relationship?
2: No, well, it depends. I think Jonathan Carl, you know look i I know Jonathan for a long time. he just leavess back, and I knew what I was doing. I'm glad I did it because at least you get a little bit of say, but they don't write it anyway. Uh in many ways I like the tapes. I insist on tapes, but I also say the tapes belong to me. So that means Woodward has to get whatever deal he made. It, you know, we'll probably end up in litigation over it because uh we gave tapes for the written word, not tapes to sell. And that's always made clear. I don't know if you've ever done an interview with, with you. I might not say it because I trust it. You, know, you. You're a good man, Brian. Thank you. But with uh, Bob Woodward, I said, no, no, these tapes are for the written word. These tapes are for your book. These are not to be sold. These are tapes for your book to help you. And I like that because it's more accurate, you know, than somebody. So now he's 20- selling an
1: audio book, uh, whatever obviously. he is. Now, it so
2: now he makes an audio book out of it. So we'll sue him. And then, you know, we've already hired the lawyers to sue him because, he's right. a, you know, Bob right. Woodward's a very sleazy. I know guy. you got
1: to get going. You got two, to, uh, uh, we got a couple of minutes. Twitter is bought by Elon Musk. They want you back. Will you go back on Twitter? I know you got Truth Social. Would you do both? Well,
2: Truth Social for the last four days has been number one. I, I don't know if you've seen that. Yep. But it's been number one. It's ahead of TikTok. It's ahead of Instagram. It's ahead of everything. It's been number one. But I could have it sent to you just to verify this, okay? Because I like to verify things. So truth is doing really well. People love it. Back, they say that was one of the worst decisions made in business. And, made in business.
1: Yeah. and how would you handle running against people in your cabinet like Pompeo, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence?
2: Well, many of them have said they would never run if I run. So we'll see whether or not that turns out to be true. I think it would be very disloyal if they did. But that's okay, too. And the polls have me leading by 40, 50 points. I'm leading by a lot. Right. Uh, The other thing is I'll probably decide in the not-too-distant future we have to make this country great again. We had it great. We had energy independence. We were respected all over the world. We had low taxes. Everything that's happened, we had no inflation, as you know. We had we had this thing going like nobody's like our country has never been before. But we when, had when would you, decide if, gonna run, when you gonna decide if you're going to run
1: When would you going to decide if you want to try that again?
2: We had the strongest border in history. Uh, we had all of the things. It was so beautiful. And now look at our country. Our country is a failed country. We're gotcha. we're we're really a nation in decline. And that's a well, very sad thing.
1: Mr. President, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Donald Trump.
0: The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
5: Mr. Pence, if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee for president in 2024, will you vote for him? Well, there might be somebody else I'd prefer more. What I can tell you is I have every confidence that the Republican Party is going to sort out leadership. All my focus has been on the midterm elections, and it'll stay that way for the next 20 days. But after that, we'll be thinking about the future.
1: He uh, has a book coming out, too. He was on the uh, yesterday afternoon with John Roberts for two days ago, and he's not going to be able to say that too much longer. He said that for the longest time, that my big focus is going to be getting back to the Senate and the House. So with the vice president getting the same stage with his former president, uh, the former president that he worked with and under, that would be tough. I kind of regret now playing that. Now that I heard that soundbite so crisply, but uh, President Trump would have went off if he had heard that, right?
3: You're breaking like your little producer's heart over here. We're like, play the pen. I,
1: I know. <laughs> uh, I should have played it. Uh, you know. And then when we, you know, what screwed me up too. Is well, we came back and we had another minute with him. But it was good to have the vice uh, the president there. I get the sense that we're going to have him again uh, pretty soon. Probably right after the midterms. I'm sure he'll do it. And, and listen. I know you're reading all this stuff about it, and you watch the, if you watch the other channels, how often, uh, how many investigations are out there? How much uh, pressure is on the president? I've talked to him a few times off the air, now I've talked to him on the air. He does, not, he does not sound like a guy under pressure. And believe me, I've seen him angry. I, uh, I still believe I'm, I'm right. I'm the only one to interview him after the election. Um, so I interviewed him after the election and I met him at West Point and I've, I, he was infuriated and still he did the interview. So I, I, if he's a great act, maybe he's a great actor, but I know a lot of people golfing with him. He has not a care in the world. You know, he hires lawyers, he gets him out there and he's ready to go. We'll see. Uh, listen, go to com. I'm going to be live on stage talking about all my history books, especially The President of Freedom Fighter, now out on paperback on Tuesday. I'll be in Newark, New Jersey, December 2nd. Tickets are going fast. Plenty of Fox surprises there. And then, of course, uh, Brandon, Mississippi, on November 11th, on number 12th, and November 13th, Tulsa, Oklahoma.
0: From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade.
1: Yeah, that's my uh, that's my cue to talk. I've seen the show before. In fact, I've been on the show before. It is definitely my cue. Madison Allworth, bottom of the hour, FBN correspondent extraordinaire. You see her all over the channel. She's going to be joining us too and talk about what real life, the real economy is like, not just the economists talking about what the big numbers are and jobless claims, uh, about what it is like at small business and how the president's handling it and how it might affect election day, sixteen days away. Shannon Bream standing by, getting set to host her network show. She tells everyone that now. Hi, I'm Shannon Bream. I'm on, I have a network show. So it took a little getting used to, but I'm beginning to get used to it. I'm only kidding. She never says that. Uh, but she is funny. Uh, the Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, Lessons on Faith from Non-Biblical Families is still out and available. And before we get to Shannon, because we do have some news on Steve Bannon, he is now sentenced to four months for contempt and not testifying in the January 6th debacle. So let's get to the big three.
0: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch
6: Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. As long as I'm around and as long as I'm kicking and screaming, uh, there will be no COVID shot mandates for your kids. That is your decision to make as a parent.
1: Yeah, unbelievable. But for the rest of the country, we may not be that lucky with a strong governor. Uh, mandating kids COVID vaccines. That's what the CDC has done. When all we know, we don't know about the risks. We know about the risks to kids are minimal, almost zero. What can parents do if their state follows these CDC guidelines? It looks like there's only one option that I could tell, sue or move. Maybe that's two options.
6: Number two. 90% of the people of this country want a strong and secure southern border. And between the fentanyl, the crime, the sex trafficking, all of the problems that we're seeing because Joe Biden and Tim Ryan refused to get that border under control.
1: Joe True, J.D. Vance. Border busted. Biden is responsible, but will he be forced to take responsibility? We're going to look at the price we, the people are paying in and around the border area and into those major cities, and even the illegal immigrants themselves, and why his party must force the president to act.
2: Number one.
1: So, Mr. President, no one has better political instincts, I would argue, than you. Do you sense a red wave?
2: I do. I think so. Uh, about six months ago, it felt phenomenal. Then it got a little bit muddied up. Uh, now I think we're going to do very well.
1: 18 days in counting. That was President of the United States moments ago. Feeling the red wave reprimed. And I sense the Dems know it, too. We look at the issues that matter most and why so many feel this administration doesn't seem to care. Plus, the battles once blowouts, now too close to call. And I'm talking about Pennsylvania. I'm talking about the governorship, uh, the gubernatorial race in Arizona. And now even Michigan. Shannon Bream joins me now, anchor of the network show, Fox News Sunday. Welcome back, Shannon.
3: It is my privilege to be with you.
1: Well, first off, your reaction to Steve Bannon getting four months.
3: Well, I'm standing by for Eric Holder's sentencing, um, also in contempt of Congress, so right. let me know how that one goes down. Um, it's tricky It's tricky because this administration is under fire for appearing biased and using the DOJ to go after political enemies, that kind of thing. So when you have a case like Steve Bannon, and listen, he shook his fist at the wind and said, you know, come after me, we're going to take you down, that kind of thing. So he has been very provocative here. I'm sure this will immediately be appealed, um, but... Um, um, jail time is definitely not what he and his team were hoping for, and the judge thought it was appropriate here, four months.
1: You're not surprised, though, right? I mean, it made I'm mean, cle- i not surprised, you
3: know. only because we could see sort of the path that this was going down. Um, but it does raise questions about other people who have been held in of Congress, like the former attorney general, who don't end up in this place. Um, and, you know, it, it just, when, when there is a crisis of confidence in some of our institutions, um, it's tough for some people to look at this and say, all right, are, are we really treating people of all different parties and backgrounds and political alliances the same way?
1: I would say no. Can I jump to conclusions?
3: You go ahead. That's your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> That's Brian. good.
1: I, I don't think there's any doubt about it. So we'll see how the January 6th goes. You know what's amazing, Shannon, since we, we talk almost every week? Uh, we, was, there was a time in, in July and August where the January 6th trial was, seemed to have more weight. Uh, Donald Trump seemed to have more weight. And now also abortion, Uh, the decision, the Dobbs decision seemed to have more weight. I feel like the red wave has been reprimed by circumstances, not a great catchphrase or in some cases exceptional candidates uh, between crime, the border and the economy. The president seems to be on the wrong side of these things.
3: Yeah, and history is against him, too, as we all know, that that first midterm for a president after election is generally not good for his party. Um, And everything that is at the top of voters' concern list, like you said, economy, inflation, crime, those things have ticked up as concerns. And also... Um, voters are giving a double-digit advantage to Republicans on those issues, so that's working against him, too. Um, abortion had been, a, a, you know, I don't know that the right word we want to use to highlight. It's been a good topic for Democrats over the summer, following overturning Roe v. Wade, but that's ticked it down a little bit. It's out of the top five by our latest polls and measurements about what people really care about, so it's certainly going to motivate some of the base, but when you think about states like New York, California, abortion's not in danger of going away in those states, and so will those folks be really motivated? motivated by that or as you know when you're out there pumping your gas and paying your grocery bill that's a real world a daily measurement for most people about how they're doing another factor against democrats is that historically when people are not doing well in the economy they punish the party in power
1: right here's what rick scott thinks obviously he wants the best case scenario cut 19 we're going to get 52 seats plus
0: more uh, we, we're going to keep par 50 um, Ron Johnson's going to win. Memonovs is going to win. Ted Budd is going to have a big win. I'm campaigning with Ted today. I campaigned with Herschel Walker this morning. We're going to win in Georgia. We're going to win in Arizona. I think we're going to win in in uh, Nevada. Uh, and then we have opportunities in Colorado and Washington and, and, and New Hampshire and
1: Connecticut. So, at, out of Colorado, Washington, New Hampshire, and Connecticut, I mean, there's some hope there, but where mm-hmm. do you think the best chance is? I'll give you my entry New Hampshire. Okay. I got the sense that General Bulldog is trying to outwork everyone, and Maggie Hassan, by all accounts, even Democrats' accounts, the most vulnerable uh, incumbent Democrat.
3: Hmm. Okay. Well, I would say, listen, races have tightened everywhere. I think, you know, there's still a bit of a spread in Pennsylvania, but that has closed up quite a bit. Arizona, there are a lot of people who think Carrie Lake pulls out the governor's race and also helps um, Blake Masters on the Senate uh, side of that ballot in Arizona. That one's been really tight. I think the Republicans are feeling very good about Nevada and Adam Laxalt. Um, But these polls are so, so close. Almost everything is within the margin of error. Voting started already in many of these states. In some states, before there was ever a debate, some states, there aren't going to be debates. So voters have a lot to figure out. But consistently, what we see they're most worried about is the economy and inflation. And whether that translates to all these really tight Senate races, we'll see. But I mean, that has not budged out of the top spot for months.
1: Right. Uh, So Shannon Bream with us. Uh, Shannon, you have a lot of things to choose from. But one thing is pretty clear that everybody's talking about uh, 2022. How soon after 2022 do we start talking about 2024? Because we had a chance to talk to President Trump uh, on this show. And he believes it would be disloyal if the Pompeo's, the Nikki Haley's and others ran against him.
3: Well, he better buckle up then, because I think some of those folks are going to run, whether he does or not. I think, you know, we're already talking about the presidential race, but it starts in earnest the minute the dust settles on this um, midterm thing. And and obviously, don't forget, Georgia, if that's close, both in the governor's race and the Senate race, if they don't get to 50 percent, it goes to a December 6th runoff. So we could be waiting around for weeks to figure out exactly how this thing's going to go. I think we all believe the former president is getting ready to announce. I think he's going to run. I'll be surprised. To be doesn't, but I've really been, you know, talking to different camps about whether they think a candidate will step forward, a Republican candidate like a Pompeo, like a Pence. I think many of them are planning to run whether he does or not. And you know, he's big on loyalty. I mean, that's definitely one of his top um, issues that he likes to hammer on, but I don't think it's going to stop some of these people who see a potential opening for 24 and, you know, want to give Republican voters some options.
1: Right. Who you uh, plan on booking this show? Do you want to keep it a secret?
3: Um, I'm going to tell you, we've got Senator Mike Lee on with us in a tighter than he would like yeah. it to be race out there in Utah. You know, independent Evan McMullen is challenging him. And it's gotten really sticky in a number of ways, including that also sitting Senator Mitt Romney, who is Mike Lee's, uh, Mike Lee's colleague, is not endorsing in this race. So we got a lot of talk to talk about with him with his texts in the wake of, you know, the election in 2020, January 6th accusations against him. We'll talk about all of that. And then on the other side of the aisle and other side of Capitol Hill, Democratic Congressman Henry Cuellar also in a tough race down there in Texas. The border is almost everything in some of those key districts mm-hmm. down there. So we'll talk to him about his pleas for this administration to help them desperately need it down there in Texas. says it's not partisan. Um, it could make all the difference in his race. And we got some new polls, too.
1: Uh, i tell you what. I don't know. How, it's hard to run against Henry Cuellar if you're a Republican. He's pro-life and strong mm-hmm. border, taking on the White House. I mean, you could count on, on actually, Kristen Cinema, Joe Manchin, Henry Cuellar. They're the only ones who consistently have taken on the White House when they had a problem. The Republicans have no problem taking on Trump or Bush, it seems to me, Shannon. But Mm -hmm. the Democrats really run a tight ship otherwise. Do you know another Democrat that up until until this election season— has ever even broken from the president?
3: Well, I mean, Senator Mark Kelly will say he has on the border over there in Arizona. Um, you know, you you've ma- got do you imagine Ryan if he did the
1: first year. Imagine if he did that in twenty twenty one. Said, "Listen, Mr. President, you got to come down here. The border is a mess. Mm-hmm. Now, how many uh, cameras he would have had down there? But go ahead. Sorry.
3: Yeah, and if that's really a, a major problem for your state and for your constituents, you want to raise the alarm. Like Henry Cuellar Quir- has done without really hesitation. Um, you know, you've got folks like Ryan up in the Ohio race who who says that he has broken with um, the administration and, and been against President Biden and a number of things. but. I, you know, if anyone's broken consistently with the White, White House and Democrats, it's been the progressives. It's been the squad. I mean, th- those are the ones to the far left who've said, I'm not going along with the plan, more so than, you know, centrist Democrats, I would say.
1: Yeah, well, I think I think there's a there, – it makes it more interesting. Uh, it also gets a lot of Republicans on other channels where they're – as soon as you're – if you're an Adam Kinzinger or Liz Chain, you become a rock star over there, and we'll see what happens. We know that uh, Adam Kinzinger is out there with Evan McMullen. Uh, campaigning with Mm -hmm. him and Mitt Mm -hmm. Romney sitting on the side I find uh, fascinating until I found out that Mike Lee didn't endorse him, so maybe it's a little bit of uh, payback down the line. Uh, I guess we'll have to see. Shannon, I look forward to talking to you again.
3: I'll see you Saturday night, and then you'll see me on Sunday.
1: Yes, Saturday at 8 and then Sunday. That's a lot of Shannon Breedman, Brian Kilmeade.
3: Yeah, but we give the people what they want.
1: Demand. (laughs) Go get them, Shannon. Bye. Uh, uh, meanwhile, Steve Bannon just spoke to the press after getting his 4 months jail term. We're going to bring that back when we return. Also, at the bottom of the hour, FBN's Madison Allworth. And we'll squeeze in some of your calls. Uh, this is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't forget, One Nation, 8 o'clock and 11 o'clock, Saturday night. It's an hour that will include Herschel Walker, Reince Priebus, and Kat Timpf. Never have those three been on the same show. Can you look that up, Allison, to make sure I'm not, uh, I don't end up on mediaite saying false things? Thank you.
0: Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
5: I want to say one thing. I I respect uh, the judge. The sentence he came down with today is his decision I fully respect I've been totally respectful of this entire process uh, on the legal side. I also want to make one other statement before I talk about a broader topic. More than any person in the Trump administration, I testified before the Mueller Commission for more hours. I testified in front of a uh, chair a shift in the House Intelligence Committee more than any other person in the Trump administration. I attest, I testified in front of the Senate Intelligence I think more than a, all about the issues related uh, to uh, to Gate to all of that. OK, the same process every time I had lawyers that were engaged. They worked through the issues of privilege. and At that time, I went and testified. And, I, and, and this thing about uh, I'm above the law is an absolute and total lie.
1: It's true. Uh, and again, he's been charged four months in prison. Doesn't lose his temper. Doesn't go off. And I thought Shannon Bream was a lawyer, obviously. She's our our judicial analyst. She said, where's Eric Holder? I mean, he defied uh, the hearings. He defied Congress. And he got censured. Never goes to jail. No one even brought it up. So there is, I mean, it's clearly a double standard. Um, It's it's ridiculous. So uh, that is uh, what happened. That's uh, relatively breaking news. I did interview the president today, but didn't want to bring this up because by the time I did the interview, we'd have a verdict. And also I thought if I asked him that once, he was going to go off on the whole Russia investigation, which is worthy newsworthy, but I wouldn't have got another question in. So that was a little of my strategic thinking there. Let's talk about strategy. Here's the President of the United States talking about what he wanted to do. He is getting defensive. Why? Because almost nobody's asked him to campaign. He's good at raising money. People wanted to go see the president, but not many people show up to hear the president. They wouldn't have done it if he was running for president. They never did it when he ran for president. Why would they show up now that he's an unpopular president, even though he says the, the greatest problem he has is he's accomplished so much, according to his transportation secretary, Pete Buttigieg, who evidently is wanted out on the campaign trail, as is Barack Obama. But he did appear yesterday in Pittsburgh with John Fetterman. Uh, and John Fetterman's got a problem. He can't speak because of his stroke. He's not good on his feet because of his stroke. He has trouble hearing and understanding because of his stroke. And his policies and his beliefs prior to his stroke do not line up for a victory in a purple state like Pennsylvania, in my humble view. So here's what President Biden said, uh, trying to get his mind off everything. Uh, of John Fetterman's week on crime policies, his uh, anti-fracking beliefs. Here's the president yesterday getting some questions from the press. who are finally asking him once in a while some real questions outside Fox. Cut to.
2: Tim Ryan in Ohio said he doesn't want you there. Warnock said wouldn't say. Do you think they're making a mistake? No, there are by 16 there I've already gone in for yet and a lot more to asked. Another 20 or so. I'm going to be going here. Do you okay. have any
7: plans to go to Nevada or Georgia in the coming weeks? Pardon me? To Nevada or Georgia?
4: Both the congressmen asked me to go out in New and be able to get out in Nevada And Georgia to ask me to
2: come down. We're trying to work it out now.
7: Are you going to go next week?
2: I don't know where I'm going. I've got
4: about 16, 18 requests around the country, so I don't know who's going where.
1: Where are those requests? He might have fundraisers. Like I said, the president going to a fundraiser, uh, lending an ear to people who have a cause and some money, make people want to feel important. I get it. But no one really wants him to compete. And listen, as I said this morning on Fox & Friends, I don't actually think that's that big of a deal. Barack Obama, after Obamacare, lost 63 seats in the House. And not many people wanted him to campaign, even though he's great on his feet and he's very eloquent, right? Charismatic. Nobody wanted Bush 43 after a second term after the 2008 collapse. But they wanted him in 2004, and they certainly wanted him in 2001. That's just the way it goes. You can't take it personal. You know, John McCain wasn't much help, and John McCain didn't ask for George Bush to get uh, much help. You know, Mitt Romney is not much help, but at one point he was a big help. So these things go in cycles, but Joe Biden's not going to have a cycle that's positive his way. I mean, for his wife, I thought the big telling was this, and uh, Meghan McCain just— Tweeted this out and it kind of reminded me. She says, in all her years, on all the campaign trails, all the stops with her dad, Senator McCain, he's never, she's never seen a candidate have a rally for them and not speak. John Fetterman did not speak. And the President of the United States had a bad day yesterday and he had a bad day the day before. He cannot speak. I barely heard or wo- understood a word that he said. And the day before when he announced that the oil companies are bad and we've drilled enough, he stumbled his way through that prompter copy as if it was fighting him the whole way. Listen, we have a lot to discuss, including our economy. That's where we're going to go to the FBN correspondent, Madison Allworth, after that. Just a quick reminder. Go to BrianKilme.com. I'm setting up my book tour. I'm going to be all over the place, including on the 27th of this month at Barnes & Noble. That is a Thursday night in Bayshore, Long Island. President and Freedom Fighter.
0: Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: I think you have to expect that
6: there's more volatility on the horizon. Now, that doesn't mean for sure that we have a really difficult economic scenario.
1: But in the distribution of outcomes, there's a good chance we could have a recession. You can't talk about the economy without talking about the stuff in the future. And this is serious stuff. These are very, very serious things, which I think are likely to push the U.S. uh, And the world, I mean, Europe is already in a recession. And they're likely to put U.S. in some kind of recession six, nine months from now.
4: We will have a recession I think it will be a a relatively mild recession, sort of, uh, I'm just guessing here. This is total uh, speculation. Um, But I would guess it's it's a, you know, mild recession for, I don't know, 18 months or something like that. That is, I
1: believe, Elon Musk, uh, who now owns Twitter. I'm not sure he's happy about it. Madison Allworth here, FBN correspondent, based in New York City, but willing to travel. Is that true?
7: That is very true, Brian. Right, great to see you. <laughs> great to see you too. So the
1: big you're in like the I look at you as the real world economy, and then there's the academic world economy. I just gave you the academic. Who's in the real world uh, from the uh, from the CEO level? You get the sense that people are nervous about the economy.
7: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I talk to business small business owners all the time, and while they are still seeing business, which is a good sign, they are noticing changes in buying habits. So people are going out and shopping. We see that. We see that the economy is still moving, Mm -hmm. but people are buying less. They're buying what they need, and they're not splurging on those, you know, special items that they may have months or years ago.
1: So this this transitory inflation is not transitory. It's hovering uh, high 8s, 9s, and that's where it's staying. The president points to – So is everyone going through this, but that's not really the case. China, Japan, Mexico, Canada, they all have lesser uh, inflation issues.
7: Yeah. And I think when you talk to um, business owners or families, we don't care. They don't care if, you know, (laughs) their neighbor or they don't care if another country is or isn't. They care about how am I going to feed my family? How am I going to keep my business running? You know. There's obviously questions there in the validity of what he's looking at outside of our borders. But regardless of that, people here, they just care about making ends meet. And I think there's frustration that there was um, a blind eye turned for so long. And now that we are at a 40 year high with inflation, people are like, well, it's a little too late.
1: And what they're saying is, look at the jobs numbers, the Democrats, look at the jobs numbers and the jobless claims were lower than everyone thought uh on thursday was that true yeah but
7: and we we did see them tick up again yesterday i believe a little bit um yeah i mean there are so many questions because jobless claims are still at a good point um we're still seeing hiring at a good point and we are seeing 40-year high inflation so i think everyone's kind of like well we're still ticking along when does the bottom drop out we're seeing some interesting moves with the 10-year yields and the two-year yields i think um the people I speak to say that something is coming, and I think um, everyday Americans are feeling it too.
1: Right, uh, oil and gas too. It seems like we're in control of that. If we gave a signal they're willing to drill and frac, uh, they would that would be people would start investing because they know where we're heading. When I saw the when I saw the oil companies react to the president vilifying them, they basically said, "Come up with a policy, but a long term policy. Uh, tapping the strategic oil reserve is not going to help anybody. That's not a strategy.
7: It's not a strategy, and I think yeah, just like any. Business. If you see a potential future, you're going to invest and do more. There's a lot of concerns around that, and I'm concerned. Looking ahead to the winter, we're already we've seen a cold snap come across most of the U.S. Heating prices for families that are filling up with home heating oil or you know whatever they do, it's going to be more expensive this year than ever, and that's just another expense on top of everything else they're dealing with.
1: Absolutely. So let's talk about uh, something else uh, that everybody's talking about: electric cars. We want to buy. Ele- we want everyone to buy electric cars. When Fort Myers got slammed by that hurricane, what are we finding happened to the electric cars?
7: So really fascinating, Brian. I was down in the Fort Myers area, Naples area, for um, the week following Hurricane Ian. And the beginning of the week was all, you know, here's what it looks like. Here's what people are going through. And here's what the beginning of recovery is. Then we stumbled upon this story because— um, Patronus, who is the CFO of Florida as well as the chief far- fire marshal, he was touring Naples when, with the fire department, when they got a call of an, a Tesla on fire. Um, they went to the scene. Normally, a car fire can be put out in an hour. This car took six hours to Get put out. out of here. Six hours. How many hours
1: men to- had to do that?
7: It was an entire truck that was constantly working on the car. And what I was able to meet then. With the fire department, that was fascinating. They said prior to the hurricane, they had zero electric vehicle fires that were not from a crash, right? If you have a crash, just like a, a gas vehicle, you might have a fire. But these were cars that were just sitting alone because they had been exposed to salt water for an extended period of time. The batteries had been corroded, and then they those fires start. And because of where the battery is located, how big it is, and where it is under the car— they said it's near impossible to put out six hours. That's six times. And in some cases, the fires are so bad and uncontrollable that if it's in a controlled area, they will just let the entire vehicle burn to the ground because that is easier than trying to put out a fire.
1: How in, Was this something not widely known until into into this hurricane?
7: So Petronas seemed to believe, you know, they had, their department had reached out to the different major electric vehicle makers. Um, when I spoke to the fire department, they said we had some awareness that when a battery is compromised you do have the fear of these fires but no one had seen widespread compromised batteries because of a natural disaster like this so there was some awareness that if you do something like this to a battery it would be a problem but they a, a large fire department had not seen you know multiple vehicles and when i when i did this story on the friday there had been i think around 8 vehicles in that county that had had electric vehicle fires. And then over the weekend, I got text alerts from the fire chief that two more in just the next two days that randomly combusted after being flooded. How
1: crazy is that? So the question is, too, I had a hybrid car, Madison Allworth, here from FBN. And the one thing they said, I love the car. And I said, hey, what happens if the battery goes down? They go, yeah, we don't know. And we don't even know how long it would take. They say, we think it's going to be eight years. I go, really? Eight years? It was an SUV. And... I go, eight years, it's supposed to last. I go, what if it doesn't? He goes, well, we cover for two. So I'm thinking to myself, that sucks. But I ended up, the car ended up being great, and it didn't catch on. Nobody wanted the hybrid car. That was 2008. So now I think people would buy it. Just show me that it's practical. Show me that I'm not going to be sitting in the middle of nowhere with chargers. Or I pick up my phone. My phone does not hold charges like it used to. I'm sure yours doesn't. What about a car a year in? You go to charge it. Now it's not holding charges like it used to. How do you judge how much you have left? There's so many questions.
7: There are so many questions. And it it is a newer technology, which is why when you have a storm like Ian, you learn things, right? There's been many hurricanes. We've seen cars flooded out. The story that I did prior to the EV fires was how to avoid Cars damaged by water in the uh, resale market because a lot of times these cars, these fuel cars and electric, wind up actually in other states because they're supposed to be compounded in Florida. In this example, and scammers will lift them out to other states quickly where they don't legally have to register them. So we've talked. It's known that after a storm, cars have issues because electric and hybrids are newer to our uh, market. It's not as known, and we're still learning things. And there are questions around the safety of the battery, the the life right. lifetime of the battery, all of these things.
1: So Madison uh, covers various shows. How many stories will you cover a week?
7: I sometimes cover – cover five. I'll do, like, one a day.
1: Do you have, like, will they give you a story and you go, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to do another. I'll and go up to somebody else and take their story. Do you have that much I power? I don't,
7: I don't really take other people's stories, I would say. I mean, <laughs> at Fox yeah. Business, the good thing is there are, are storylines and people, you know, multiple reporters will work on a storyline oh, okay, okay. it's always developing. So I you have say, a sense of team. Absolutely. And another thing, which I get all the time in my personal life, people will ask, you know, what happens if your team assigns you a story that, you know, you don't feel comfortable with or you don't want to do? Um, And I've worked at a couple different uh, national news organizations and Fox business and Fox is incredible. If, if the team's like, Oh, we're seeing this kind of bubbling around. Can you look into it? And if I say, you know what, there's just not enough here. Or this one headline is misleading. They weren't really doing um, the story justice. I've, Turned down at this point, it's like probably three or four stories, really? so not a ton. Because our desk, our assignment team is really strong. But if I say, like, look, here's why I don't think we should be doing this story, my my voice is heard, and and that makes sense because I'm the one going forward with the story. But it's a great place to work, and th- and that is a, a huge part of being a journalist, having that Input. teamship.
1: Yeah, 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 and then yeah, you I got to trust. Well, Madison looked into it. She's not one to get try to get out of work. Uh, she actually <laughs> wants to work. So um, I also think this, the reporting is so underappreciated and so much harder than anchoring. You go out in the field, you shoot all day for four minutes. You explain front and back. you got to be flexible on your hit times, and you got to be creative uh, out in the field. Um, I want to talk about a few of the stories that you covered. Number one, we don't hear enough about the baby formula. Yes. And, and where are we at with that? Because people are talking about the illegal immigrants. This is what I thought about. The illegal immigrants – uh, evidently, they just gave them pizza and sandwiches, and some had babies. So I'm pretty sure they don't eat pizza, no teeth. So what are they doing for formula?
7: Right. I mean, that's, that was something that came up when we were at the height of this stocking shortage earlier this summer. Um, because the sad thing is a human life is a human life. We shouldn't really be in a position where we should be short of life saving, life necessary food for our most vulnerable population, which is children. But the re- sad reality is we had these issues. There was the Abbott plant shutdown, and it created this incredible backlog of demand for, again, if this is, if you have kids and if your children need formula. It's not like, oh, tonight I'm going to have it. salad or yeah, tomorrow yeah. I'll have pizza. You know, you have to have baby formula or breast milk. It, it needs to be there. And so there were concerns, rightfully so, from families saying, I can't get access and yet maybe it's being sent somewhere else. The good news is there are organizations now working with families. Families have to take on a lot of personal work to get this done, to find maybe the formula or to still. work with their provider. Yes, still. I spoke to one mom who's having her formula flown in from Switzerland, Jerry. Oh. <laughs> her her child is allergic to milk, which a lot of people are lactose intolerant. Her son is. And she said she it was like a full-time job when she was on maternity leave. The entire time she was on maternity leave, she was working to find a sustainable solution to find formula for her son. And now it's flown in from Switzerland, which in and of itself is challenging because there are a lot of restrictions around where you can get formula. So, you know, we, we see um, teams working on trying to access or to expand to access to formula. And it's just very slow going.
1: Wow. Uh, Madison, thanks so much for joining me. What are you doing today?
7: Today? I am talking about the uh, new lawsuit that was filed um, by the Ch- the chess grandmaster, um, He's suing for $100 million because he's been accused of cheating. He's been kicked off of chess.com. Really? Hans Neiman, yes. He's a 19-year-old chess grandmaster, and he defeated a different grandmaster.
1: And they're claiming he cheated.
7: And they're claiming he cheated. And the challenge is Hans Neiman um, has admitted to cheating on occasion. He claims it was only at 12 and at random games at the age of 16, but – Only once for money and never for um, in legitimate tournaments with something on the line. Um, But. Chess.com has kicked him off the platform. That also means he cannot play (sighs) for a one million dollar prize. There's he's claiming collusion between Chess.com and Magnus Carlsen, who's also a chess grandmaster Carlson has a very popular, successful platform that chess.com has purchased right. for millions of dollars. Right. So he's arguing these two are colluding together and they want to take chess, them off. Right? And that's chess.
1: So, Allison, you're running down a checker story, very similar storyline. Do you want to expand on that?
3: No, but what I will say is Eric's always interested in random things and he <laughs> loves chess drives. Yeah, love, so did you know this. about this, uh, Eric? <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. I've been following it since the beginning. It's so he loves
7: space and chess. I mean, <laughs> I don't think that's uh, random. Uh, that sounds like pretty nerdy things. I'm sensing a pattern. But wait a second. How dare you talk about Eric Nerdy like is that? great. I like nerdy. That's right. not a bad thing. <laughs>
1: yeah, about, this is this is fascinating bright, How Come about on. bright and intellectual?
7: Yes, or bright and intellectual. You're right. That's what <laughs> I should have said.
1: <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, he's a deep thinker. Uh, he also likes war. You like war too, Eric, right? I mean, you don't, you don't like necessary. war. Yeah, you Fascinated don't
7: like by, war. interested like, in studying. Yeah,
1: you're not pro-war. Strategy when and war happens, tactics.
7: Thank sure. you. Yeah. Right. right, and chess and war, both strategy right. and space. There is strategy to space. There are right. a lot of competing factors, private, public.
1: Eric and his attitude are ruining the show. That's <laughs> <I> mean, <it's, laughs> we're just trying to do through a myriad of topics. Um, so I did not know that you were diving into this, but now you're Yeah. You know, so, I don't want to name drop it. I had Gary Kasparov on last Saturday. Look at that. You're right, you could bring him into this. Maybe I, he should know.
7: I would love that. Right. I am trying to get right in this. This is what's fun about my job. Every day is different. And as an anchor, right. I know you you drew the comparison. I mean, As an anchor, you need to know a lot about everything because every reporter is coming to you, um, which is incredibly difficult because I find in my job every day I need to be one day a baby formula expert. The next day a chess cheating expert. Uh, You know, the next day talking about inflation and butter prices and I'm in the back end of a bakery looking at bread when I've never baked a loaf of bread in my life. But every day is different and exciting. So, Madison,
1: this is let me just when you're not working. Every time someone brings up a subject, like, you know a little bit about everything. You're probably the most interesting person in the world to vacation with. Thank you. And go out to dinner, <laughs> right, to dinner with. I'm, am I correct?
7: I do think I'm a good dinner de- right. guest, yeah.
1: Yes. And, and the, I don't have
7: any plans tonight, so. Right.
1: That would be good. <laughs> so, yeah, call Madison. Yeah, great. Uh, do you have your you, – go ahead give your number. <laughs> no, so, Madison, I'm just saying that it's sometimes people bring up things they just don't know what you're talking about. You probably have never said that. I don't know what you're talking about.
7: I mean, I've definitely said that. I'm not afraid to admit when I don't know what – You know what's going on but i will say that in most circumstances i can either give some info on what's going on or i have a story related to whatever we're talking about
1: that is pretty cool i just want to know enough to ask a question
7: that's really yeah enough to deliver
1: the story and be the expert uh madison thanks so much for joining us brian i Uh, love being on with you thank you that's great and so now you have free this weekend
7: no i'm going on a bachelorette trip
1: no but i'm saying no work
7: no work, yes. I'm right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to enjoy my weekend. <laughs>
1: right. I wasn't going to get you involved in anything, I promise. I just want to make sure you were off on a Friday. That's I, after saying.
7: work today, I will be headed home, yes.
1: Great. Uh, Madison, thank you. Brian, thank you. All right, back in a moment. We're going to wrap things up. Brian Kilmeade Show.
0: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions, hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
6: Earlier this week I made a statement about playing football in the military and uh, it was a very poor choice of words. I just want to express that to any sentiments out there that people may have taken it in a certain way, so I apologize. What
1: did you mean by that comment? Just the fact that football players, you know, they have to make a lot of sacrifices in the season?
6: To be honest, I don't really want to expand on it too much okay. because I don't feel I like, to give you that yeah, thank to you. you. I appreciate it. I just, I have a tremendous amount of gratitude for everyone who served. And, uh, you know, in the end we play a game and the military is defending our country as two very different things. And I shouldn't have made the comparison.
1: Listen, he, I, I don't consider that a big deal, but I knew the minute I heard it, you knew the, 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 blowback was going to take place because the military is one thing you're in war, but he is away from his family for a long period of time. And then you get obsessed with detail. And that's what he was referring to. He did it on the let's go podcast with Kevin Durant and Jim Gray. So uh, he had, by the way, the week before, he had Aaron Judge on. It's a pretty good podcast.
3: It's a pretty good, I mean, good that's,
1: booker. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a great booker. It's called uh, Tom Brady Wants You On. That's pretty much that's, that's your booker. Uh, I just think that he's having a rough time right now. They, I think his team is 3-3. Three and three. They don't have the talent they had. He's missing about two or three offensive linemen. He was away on Saturday at Robert Kraft's wedding. The day before a game. I mean, that, to me, is crazy, and he did miss most of training camp. But when I see him play, I don't – this is the crazy thing. I have to sit down and read that book because he does not look like a 45-year-old guy. I mean, not close. I would expect Michael Jordan, some elite talent to – but even Michael Jordan at 38, dramatically different than Michael Jordan at 32. This guy at 45 looks the same, and he's still completing great passes. How do you make sense of that from somebody who really doesn't know football?
3: I know he eats very clean and takes care of himself. That's all good I need.
1: See, you helped. You should believe in yourself. You helped the sports story, Allison. Hey, watch One Nation this weekend, Saturday at 8 and 11.